The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. If your family is like my family, there are certain stories, kind of like family legends, that get passed down through the generations. And there's, there's specifically, there are certain people that uh, on both sides of my family, our, my grandparents would tell us that some famous person in history or some notable person that supposedly we are descended from. I don't know if you have that in your family. Maybe they're like, oh, yeah, the captain of the Mayflower. He's your great, 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 great grandfather. Or, no, you're related to royalty in Spain. And then they came over at some, some point. And maybe there's some kind of family legend that was passed down that you were related to. And so um, what's been interesting is recently a friend, a good friend of mine, his name is Robert Adlett. He actually goes here to West Pines. He's been helping me research my ancestry, and a lot of these stories that I'm hearing, it's been kind of interesting to see some of them are kind of true, some of them are very true, some of them are totally not true, and so I've been trying to pass these things uh, around to, my, to the rest of my family. And what we've uh, been finding through this ancestry search is very similar to what Robert warned me. He said, man, when you do ancestry search, I just want you to know before you get into this, you find everything. You find the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now I was like, okay, and, he, and so what we've been finding has been actually somewhat humorous um, within our family. The, the people that we've been finding that are, you know, seems kind of impressive. Oh, he's an old war hero, and he's in your ancestry, and, and there's some royalty from hundreds of years ago in Switzerland or whatever, and it seems like some kind of impressive people. They all happen to be from my mom's line. And so my dad's line, we keep finding like criminals and <laughs> derelicts and, you know, people you're kind of, so we're, so we're kind of like not talking about those. And my dad has been like, man, why is there no good people in my line? And especially there's one individual in particular that was passed down to him, this legendary person that apparently we on the barn side are descended from. It's this revolutionary war hero by the name of Swamp Fox. Why would you laugh at that? This is my heritage. I'm trying to share with you, okay? This character, Swamp Fox, is an actual person. He was General Francis Marion. He fought against the Redcoats. And the way that he would uh, fight is he wouldn't do the typical European style of battle where they all line up and then they line up over there and you shoot them and then they shoot you. No, he would do basically guerrilla warfare. And since they knew the territory around where they're fighting the Redcoats, they would hide in the woods, and they'd come out, and they'd attack, and then they'd retreat. And he was very, very successful. In fact, uh, there's a movie that came out several years ago. It's called The Patriot. Uh, Mel Gibson is in it. And that character is based on this guy, Swamp Fox Marion. Now, my dad has always told us that we are descended from this guy, and there's actually a song that is sung, Okay? Apparently there was a TV show that he used to watch from the 50s and 60s, and this is the song. I, I want you to hear this song. Okay, you're entering into my family right now. You need to hear this song. Okay, this could happen at any point in our house. This song would start to be sung. Okay, listen to this song. Swamp fox, swamp fox, tail on his hat. Nobody knows where the swamp fox at. Swamp fox, swamp fox, hiding in the glen. 
he runs away to fight again. I'm so proud. I'm so proud right now. So anyway, he would sing the song. So he and his younger brother would watch this when they were kids. And his, his dad, my grandpa, would say, oh, you know, we're, we're descended from Swamp Fox Marion. And so whenever there'd be this tension, we keep finding these really noble people in my mom's line and these kind of criminals on my dad's line. He says, yes, but we Barnes men, we have Swamp Fox in our heritage. So we keep digging in uh, ancestry and the day happened. The link to Swamp Fox Marion was discovered. So I get this report from Ancestry. Robert sends it to me. And so I, when I see this, uh, the glee at which I'm typing this email to the rest of my family was a uh, I, I, few moments like this in my life. Here's what the email that I sent out. Robert just emailed me that he found our link to General Swamp Fox Marion after all this time. Dad, you thought it was just a legend. Well, here it is, how we are related to the legendary Swamp Fox. He is the nephew of the wife of our sixth great-grand-uncle. I mean, just right there. There's only one piece of bad news for you, Dad. We are related to Swamp Fox through Mom's line. But don't worry, you're related by marriage. (laughs) So some legendary stories, okay, that turn out a little differently than you think. Okay, maybe you've got that story that was passed down from your family. It was this this great story of maybe something that happened or someone you're related to. Grandparent stories are awesome. And, uh, And sometimes stories like that turn out very differently than you expect. Sometimes stories have this kind of legendary status. Well, there's one story that we're going to look at in the, in the Bible this morning, and it's a very famous story from Abraham's life. In fact, I would be willing to bet maybe you've never been in a church before today. This is your first time ever in a church. Maybe you've never opened up a Bible ever in your life. I bet you've heard of parts of this story. I bet just by being in this culture, you've at least heard of the cities involved in this story. It's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe you've heard of those phrases. Those are sometimes just linked to great wickedness. When you hear that, oh man, that place is like Sodom and Gomorrah, you, you're, that's being said because it's linked to great wickedness. And what ends up happening in this story is actually God, they're so wicked that God allows these two cities to be destroyed. And that's another thing that people sometimes think of when they hear this story of, about Sodom and Gomorrah. They think of a time where God seems kind of ruthless. Like maybe you've heard before and heard someone say, man, the God in the Bible, man, he can be mean sometimes. I mean, kind of the New Testament God, I mean, he's, I mean, he's forgiving and loving and nice and gracious, but man, the Old Testament God, you do not want to mess with him. He's, just, he's mean, he's cruel sometimes, it seems like he's ruthless, no-nonsense type of God, and sometimes you're like, man, the God of the Old Testament, I'm not sure about, but the God of the New Testament, maybe, I, you know, that's okay, Jesus is forgiving and loving, but man, sometimes in the Bible, God just seems fearsome. What's interesting about this legendary story is actually when we dig into it, it actually turns out a little different than you may expect. In fact, there's something very profound that we learn about God through this story. Let's jump into the story together. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 18. 
We're going to start in verse 16. Genesis 18, we're going to start in verse 16. Let's look what happens. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Okay, before we go much farther, <clears throat> let's get a little background of what's happening here. If you, if you were with us last week, you remember that God appeared to Abraham. Abraham and Sarah were waiting for God to fulfill his promise that they would have kids, and not just kids. What God promises is that your descendants will become a mighty nation that will impact every family on the globe. This is, and, and his descendants would become, we know historically, would become the nation of Israel, God's people. And God is promising this, but Sarah and Abraham do not have any kids at this time, and he promised them, this time next year you will have a child. It says that God appeared to him and said these things to him, but there's something really interesting about this story. It's that God appears to him in the form of a human. It's really interesting. We talked about this last week. Abraham is there. He sees three men approaching. One of them is God in human form. He's put on flesh, and he's appearing to Abraham, and he's with two other, two other men who actually we find out turn out to be angels, and these three men appear to Abraham. Okay, now you might say, man, that's kind of pushing it a little bit. I'm not sure that I track in with all that or believe all that can be possible. Well, just hang, hang with me here. That's how the, the scripture is presenting this story, Okay. So Abraham is meeting with God, and then it says these three men turn towards this city. It's a neighboring nearby city, the city of Sodom, and they begin walking along the way to Sodom, and Abraham goes with him. Now, you, can re- you may remember the reason why Abraham probably goes with them to Sodom is he has an, a vested interest in what happens in that city. His nephew lives there. There's been times that this city's been in trouble, and Abraham's helped the city to protect his nephew, Lot. All right. The Lord is heading down to Sodom. Abraham is going with them. Let's look at verse 17. This is what happens. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not... I will know. God says to Abraham, this is why I am going down to Sodom. There has been a terrible outcry from these cities, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's been a terrible outcry about their wickedness, how they have hurt the people around them. There's been this great cry, and he says, I am going to see if it's as bad as people are crying out to me. Apparently, people are crying out to God, God, save us, these wicked cities, they're oppressing us, save us. And God's saying, I'm here to just kind of check it out and see if it's as bad as they say it is. Now think about that. Does God have to show up physically to check out a city to see if it's bad as people are saying it is? Does God have to do that? Of course not. 
He, can sit, he knows from heaven. He, he absolutely knows. So why, what's he doing here? Why is he acting this whole thing out with Abraham? And he gives us a hint as to why beforehand. He says, Abraham, I've called you. Your kids are going to be a mighty nation. Your descendants are going to be a mighty nation. And he says, and they need to be committed to justice and righteousness. If they are going to be the force for good, that I am intending in this planet, God says they need to be committed to justice and righteousness. So God wants Abraham to see how this works. He brings Abraham along. Now, Abraham lives in the area. He's familiar with these cities. And so when he hears that, it's like he already knows what's going to happen. He's like, oh my gosh, if, if God doesn't already know what he's going to find there, he's going to destroy these cities. He's going to allow them to be destroyed. And so what you're going to see is this is how Abraham, now he's thinking in the back of his mind, okay, God's going to, he's going to destroy these cities, let them be destroyed, and Lot's there. What am I going to do about my nephew and his whole family there? What am I going to do? This is what Abraham does. You're going to see he barters with God. Watch this. Let's go to verse, verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away this place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I'll spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham, Abraham answered and said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose... Forty are found there. He answered, for the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose there are thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose, suppose twenty are found there. He answered, for the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak again. But this once, suppose ten are found there. He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. All right, what's Abraham's angle here? He knows what God's going to find when he gets there. He knows it is bad news. It is a treacherous place to live. In fact, if we kept reading into the next chapter, chapter 19 is rated R. When you read what happens when they show up in that, it is, it is a terrible, fearsome place. I'm not saying it's like, it's like a party town there. No, it's not like that. It's like you fear for your life. The systems and structures are so corrupt, so crooked, so violent, so vile, that the innocent are being destroyed and preyed upon. And what we find here is Abraham knows that's what God's going to find, and he knows his nephew Lot is there. So why doesn't Abraham just say, God, um, okay, look, let me just 
cut to the chase. Here's what you're going to find in Sodom and Gomorrah. But my nephew's there. Could you maybe just spare my nephew? He doesn't do that. He drags us through this whole long bartering system as if God doesn't know what he's thinking anyway. Why does Abraham do that? He doesn't trust the heart of the Lord. He thinks he's got to work God a little for him to protect the righteous and the innocent. He thinks he's got to like kind of smooth it over, kind of, well, I'm going to start at 50. I mean, certainly he wouldn't with 50, but I'm really just caring about Lot and his family. So he thinks he's working God down to just Lot and his family. That's who he really wants protected. He doesn't trust God's heart for the innocent, God's heart for the righteous. What ends up happening in, in the next couple chapters is we find that it is, it's more wicked than you can imagine. It's one of the hardest passages in the Bible to read, to be honest. It is so bad. And you see that God, what he does is he pulls Lot and his family out and then lets the cities be destroyed. So, man, what does this say about God? I mean, oh, it's hard to hear about God allowing anyone to be destroyed. I mean, what does this say? Well, we have a little bit more information about this in the Bible. Uh, I want to read to you Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16. Now, I know you've probably memorized the book of Ezekiel. It's everyone's favorite. But I want to just read to you two, two verses out of this book because it talks about this, what made God so angry about Sodom and Gomorrah. Go ahead and pull those verses up. I want you to look at this. There's a lot of bad that goes on in Sodom and Gomorrah, but in these verses, it's like God is saying, but this is what really made me rise up against these cities. Look what it says. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, watch this, pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty, and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. What is God saying here? He's, he's not just simply saying, well, what you're doing is a little offensive to me, so I don't like it. No, what he's saying is these cities are preying on the innocent, on the powerless, on the voiceless, on the helpless. And he's saying, I will not sit by and watch that happen. They're sitting back while people are dying around them and they're sitting back, they could care less. Their hearts are so hardened with their comfort and their ease and they're just sitting back, they could care less. They care less about the crooked structures that are taking advantage of the innocent. They could care less about that. And God says, no, I cannot sit by and do nothing. What do we learn about God from this story? We learn that he is a mighty warrior, a mighty warrior for the needy, that he rises up to protect the helpless, that he rises up for those who have no voice, and he comes to their rescue. So this is a, an unbelievable important passage because what, this reveals the basic character of God. What do we know about God? I mean, one of the most basic things we know about who God is is that we are needy, lost in our sins, and he sends Jesus to this earth, God in the flesh. He sends Jesus to this planet who suffers and sacrifices and dies in unimaginable agony because of our needs. Who is God? He's not cruel, heartless. It's the opposite. He rises up for his heart and his love for our world. He rises up to protect the innocent and the needy. Now, why do we need to hear that? Why do we need to know that about God? 
Because if we're saying, yes, I follow Jesus, I love God, the love of God is in me, if we say that, then this is what our lives should look like. Go ahead and look. This is in the New Testament. Go ahead and pull up 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. Look what it says. By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, look at this. This is so powerful. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Do you hear what this is saying? It's saying, how can I say I follow Jesus? Yes, I am a Christian. I'm wanting to be so much like Christ that you can actually call me Christian. I follow after Jesus. When the most basic concept, the most basic understanding trait of who Jesus is is that he laid down his life and deeply sacrificed for the needy. I want you to imagine you uh, go in for a, a job interview this week. Okay, you go in, you sit down for a job interview, and they uh, sit across the desk from you, and they say, wow, man, your resume looks it's impressive, you know, impressive resume. I see your job history, but you know, I just want to hear a little bit more. So just tell me a little bit about yourself. How would you describe yourself in like a workplace environment? And let's say, imagine you say, wow, well, that's a, that's a tough question, but if you could take Albert Einstein, Dwayne Wade, and Dwight Eisenhower and put them in one person, that's pretty much me. <laughs> the interviewer's like, wow, that's impressive. You're like Albert Einstein. Are you just like really, really smart, kind of a genius? And oh, no, no, I'm not really smart at all. Actually, I failed science. I know nothing about science. Oh, okay, you said you're like Dwayne Wade, so you like to have that heart of the champion, you work hard to see success, and you're disciplined. Nope, no, actually, I don't do discipline at all. I've never played basketball in my life, actually. Okay, you see, Dwight Eisenhower, I mean, that's impressive. Are you like, you rally the troops, and you have this vision, and you, you conquer with your leadership? No, man, I hate conflict. Avoid it at all costs. Okay, um, how, why are you like um, Einstein and uh, D. Wade and Dwight Eisenhower? Oh, I'm sorry, I was a little confusing. All of their names, first names, have two syllables in it, just like my first name. That's, that's what I was trying to get at. Okay, we'll contact you. Please don't uh, call us back. Why would you say that? How can you say, how can I say, yeah, let me tell you, I'm trying to be like Jesus if the most notable attributes of Jesus are not present in my life. What this passage is saying, the most notable attributes of Jesus, when you think of Jesus, what do you think about? Well, he was a nice guy, he was kind, and I try to be a nice guy and kind. I mean, he was kind of moral, and so I try and be moral. You know, he's a church person, so I'm a, a church person. No. What's the most notable attribute of Jesus? The cross. And so if I'm saying I want to be like Jesus, what Jesus said is we cannot come after him unless we take up our own cross and follow him. What does it mean to be like Jesus? It means I'm being prepared to sacrifice deeply for this world around me in need because that's what Jesus did for me. Here's what, if Grandpa Abraham were here, here's what he'd tell us. He'd say to be like Jesus is to sacrifice for the powerless. You know what I love about that 1 John passage, that 1 John verse, I love about it is it says, 
hey, when you talk about helping people, don't just help in word or in talk. Don't just talk about it. Take action. When you love, don't just say, oh, well, we as a church, we want to reach this community and reach the world. We want to change the world. He says, don't just talk about it. Do it. This morning, what I want to share and what we're excited to share with you, here is what we as a church together, not this organization, it's us together, you and me and everyone in here, what we are doing together to to reach and to serve and to love on this community and in this world. I want to share with you some of those things this morning. One of our first calls as a church is to reach out and do and serve the community right around us. Our calling is not, hey, we're building a little safe refuge compound here where no one can get in. No, we come here and we, and we are a refuge for the needy and then we go back out and serve the community. So you may have heard a couple weeks ago um, about our student camp that we had and our students came in here, uh, came in for a week long and how did they spend the days of their, of their summer? How did they give part of their summer? They served 17 organizations around this community and gave their days serving anything they asked, scraping gum off of the ground, painting, helping, serving in any way. Our students served 17 different organizations around in our community. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's exciting. In fact... In fact, it got our community's attention. There were two articles in the newspaper about our students, and one of the articles came out in the middle of camp on Wednesday morning, and we had parents calling first thing in the morning. They read that like at 6 a.m. That got their students up out of bed. They called and said, do you have room, more room for us at the camp? Like, yeah, and these students don't even know what's happening. Their parents are throwing stuff in the bag and like dropping them off. I mean, it, our community noticed you know, one of, the, one of the coolest things that happened, um, that's happening just this past summer, our women's ministry, they, they're thinking, okay, who can we serve this fall? And they said, you know, some of the greatest heroes in our community are our teachers. And they pour into our kids in this next generation. And so they said, let's, let's go talk to one of our partner schools just right down the street, Somerset, and say, what, how can we serve your teachers? Do they need supplies? And they went, they talked to their their teachers, and they said, these are the supplies they need. So in our women's ministry, they brought, they donated all these supplies. They're delivering them back to Somerset. And then some of these women are going to be, have signed up to go and help these teachers set up their classrooms. Now, that sounds like a little thing, but can you imagine teachers, they're coming back from the summer, they're like, okay, starting a new year, and they're setting up their classrooms, and all of a sudden there's this person saying, hey, I'm here to help. Do you work here? Because why are you here? No, just we want to love on you. We're here to help. Um, our, our this past spring, our community groups, there's, a, there's an organization in our community called um, Safe Place. And it's this, it's this place that literally every child in Broward County that's pulled out of their homes and will go into foster care, they go through Safe Place. That's where they go stay that night that they get pulled out of their homes. And what's incredible in Broward County is that place is run by a Christian organization that every foster child goes through. So we said, how can we help? And we reached out to Safe Place. What can we do? And they said, well, your church could adopt us for a week. Okay, well, what does that look like? Well, if you could have meals, you know, for all the children here and all the volunteers and, and all the staff, if you could deliver meals in the evenings and then come and have your people love on the, the workers and the volunteers and the kids, that would be awesome. Maybe they could even write notes to the kids who have just, their, their world has just been turned upside down. 
And so seven of our different community groups rose up and said, we will do that. And so they raised money, they got a meal, they sent a group from their community group over, they delivered food to all these workers and people at Safe Place and loved on these kids and gave them handwritten notes from members in the, in, in the community group. Man, what an awesome opportunity. What, look at what God can do through, through us. Maybe you say, man, I want to get involved in that. Maybe this fall you say, okay, it is, I'm going to get into, a, into men's ministry, women's ministry, a community group, because one of the things we do as these ministries is serve our local community in the name of Jesus, helping the needy and the powerless. But we're also called to serve not just locally, but we're called to serve overseas. I just want to tell you what's happened in just the last six months through our efforts. You, you may have been coming to West Pines, maybe serving at West Pines, and these locations in the world have not even been on your mind, but do you realize God has used you as part of our church to help in these nations around the world? I want you to hear what God's been doing in Haiti. We just recently started partnering with a, a new organization called Vision of Hope, and this is an extraordinary organization. They have a, they have a school and an orphanage in fact, their school just won the, I think it was the boys' soccer team, just won the national championship in Haiti. And they have a school and an orphanage. They have, they've already planted four churches. It's an incredible organization. So we sent a team down here. We have a picture of it. We sent a, a team down there to just get to know this organization better. They're kind of ambassadors from our church and kind of get to know what they're doing. And while they're down there, they're like, well, what can we do while we're here? And they said, well... You know, one of the things we're doing is there's a widow in our community. Her house is in just total disrepair. Maybe you could help. They're like, while we're here, we're going to jump in and help. And they helped rebuild this, um, this home of this widow that you can see there in the, in the picture. I want to show you. This is a picture of uh, one of their churches at their school. Go ahead and pull up the next one. At the school, this is the, one of the church services they hold there at their school. And not only are they doing the school and the orphanage, not only are they serving widows and planting churches, but they've also found a way to do a water purification plant using solar power. Go ahead and pull this up. This is an awesome organization that we were able to send West Pines, us together, we sent several thousand dollars down there to help support their orphanage and looking for more ways to send more teams down there to aid in the incredible work they're doing in Haiti. Um, Pastor Matt and Pastor Dan mentioned that um, the Ritterings are here. There are missionaries we support in Burkina Faso. And about 18 months ago, we took a team, our first team, over to Burkina Faso, which is one of the poorest countries in the world, to find out, okay, what, what is going on? How can we help? How can we support the Ritterings over there? And we said, okay, here's what we want to do. We want you to tell us where's a place where there's no gospel presence or very little gospel presence. And Mike said, okay, well, there's this village a little ways away from, uh, our, uh, from Sheltering Wings, the main compound there. There's a, there's a village there called Cabo. He said there's five to 10,000 people who live in, in Cabo, and the vast majority of them are either Muslim or they go to the witch doctor. Most of them have never heard who Jesus is. He said, well, what can we do there? He says that there's one small church. Pastor Matthew has a small church on the outskirts of Cabo. We said, what can we do to support that church? He said, well, why don't you bring a team in? We brought a team. We had some medical personnel, and we just showed up there to do a, have a medical clinic, and hundreds came waiting in line all day to be seen by these, by these medical professionals just from our church. Meanwhile, there were literally, we, we estimated there's something like 1,500 people there during the day. There were kids, there were, to, to do activities with these kids, there were seven of us, 
with 1,500 kids. That was a little crazy. And there's seven of us doing activities with these kids and sharing that we did skits and shared the gospel, saw dozens of them come to Christ. And then we sponsored, as a church, we sponsored an evangelism night later that week. And a local uh, Burkina Bay pastor shared the gospel and saw dozens more come to Christ. Then through the funds that we raised together, we, a few weeks after we left, a well, a well was drilled. Where did they drill it? On the church property. So people to get clean water, uncontaminated water, have to come to the church property to get clean water. And we've been sending, together we've been sending support over there. And um, I asked Micah, how's that church going? He says, in the last 18 months, that church has doubled in size as we've been serving over there. Well, one of the exciting things is um, what's happening next in Burkina Faso. And one of the things that Mike and, and Amy have been telling us is we've, because of the work that's been done in Cabo, the chief there of that village gave Sheltering Wings some property, gave it to them. And so they're, they're, what the plan is, they're going to build these huts and they're doing experiments on that property with aquaponics as ways that are a sustainable food source for these impoverished villages around throughout Burkina Faso. And I want you to watch this video. I want you to hear Mike and Amy share a little bit more about this project and what is happening through the funds of West Pines. This project is being funded by West Pines. I want you to hear a little bit more about that project. Every year, uh, right around September, August, September, things get really desperate in Burkina Faso. We see people coming to our orphanage, to our gates, that are desperate for food. Um, growing season is only three months out of the year in Burkina. So they can't grow like everywhere else in the world. They have very short growing season. And if there's a drought or if there's a monsoon, it can ruin all the crops. So the desperation that they have really has been weighing on on our hearts and God has has led us to open up a agricultural project. Now I'm not a scientist, I'm not an engineer, so you know I don't know, but God clearly said to me, Mike, if you build this, I'll send smarter people to come in and figure out the solutions. So uh, last year we started building and we built uh, 10 huts and we built some aquaponics ponds, which, you know, a year ago I couldn't spell aquaponics. But, you know, God has a friend here in uh, Hollywood, Florida, that started an aquaponics farm, and, and we were able to learn a little bit. So we started this, and so all of a sudden, a buzz started. And, and, and we're already getting international recognition. We haven't even opened yet. So uh, West Pines... Uh, really gave towards this, not just not just financially, but in prayer and in, 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 in idea. And we are now uh, ready to open by the end of the year to come up with real solutions to real problems in growing in West Africa. We've drilled two wells through the support of West Pines, drilled two wells in Cabo now. We've driven, uh, we have one that we put in uh, two years ago, right next to the church. So it's allowed the church to give water to the community that, that, that had none. 
and then uh, we drilled a second one on a new uh, agricultural site that we have there in Cabo with the support that we've received from West Pines. So West Pines has really adopted this village. West, Pine is, West Pines is truly all in on this village and, and they know, they know the pastors. You know, the, the, the church there prays for West Pines every single week. Ways that you can help. Um, first, we have a sponsorship program. We have about 400 children in our school and 60 children in our orphanage. And the way our sponsorship program works is we don't wait until we get a sponsor. We, by faith, take these kids and start helping them. And so right now, we have about 150 children who need sponsors. So you can find out more about that. Um, other ways you can help is, you know, every time you put some money in that plate every week, you're helping towards missions. And then your church is making decisions that are helping us over here in West Africa and helping in other countries. And, and you know, when we say that this is your project, like out in Cabo, it's the truth. This is your ministry. You have ownership of it. So when you're giving, you're giving towards helping uh, change the lives of people in another country. We'd like to see you come out to Burkina Faso. Amen. Uh, by coming out, you're going to be able to see firsthand where God is working, what he is doing. And I promise you, it'll be an amazing time. It'll change your life. You might see that video and say, wow, we adopted a village in, in Africa. I didn't even know that. We didn't even know that either. We just went on a mission trip and said, God, help us meet that need. And God's like, yeah, yeah, go on the mission trip. I'm going to adopt it for you. And so we have this, this village, that, this church this, with, a, with a pastor that we're, that we're bringing aid, bringing support. And I want you to consider very seriously going to that meeting after the service over in the multipurpose room. Decide maybe God is calling you to go on this mission trip. Um, on, in January to Burkina Faso and help continue the work that God's doing there. But um, last but not least, we um, just recently got back a team of 31 people from our church got back from Guatemala and uh, did a great work in Guatemala, met with our, our sponsor kids and poured out love on them. And one of the coolest things that we were able to do while we were there is install stoves in some of the houses of some of the local folks there. And you say, what do stoves do? Are you just upgrading their appliances there? I mean, why are you installing stoves? Well, the situation in these homes is they're, they're cooking and doing all the work over an open fire. So here's what that means. Not only is that just dangerous, but the smoke inhalation that the entire family is taking in, they estimate is something like smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. In fact, about 30% of their income goes to putting wood onto that fire. And so when we can put in a stove that has a smokestack that takes the smoke out of the house, that not only helps their health, but also it reduces the, the costs of wood by 70%. Should you imagine how impacting that is for a family to be able to be released from poverty? But I just want you to see this is what we did together and what God did to, to, through us together in Guatemala. Just check this out. When we arrived, um, I thought what was the coolest thing was that these people have nothing. And we pulled into the, um, to the project, and they were out there with balloons waving and everything. 
And then we went inside the classrooms and they had the streamers all set up and all the balloons set up and they made like the little poster that says welcome and they drew little people on it and stuff and I was blown away by that because they have nothing and yet they put everything they did have into welcoming us there. Stoves are just amazing because it's, it's a little thing that you're doing for them uh, that we think is little but for them it's something that's it's like getting a brand new house for them because it's helping them with health, being that they don't have to have the smoke in their house anymore, helping their children out, helping the family out. One of the things that I've really been challenged in our relationship with our sponsored child is to be in prayer for them all the time. Uh, for instance, our first sponsored child, Erica, her mom struggled with alcohol and her business was struggling. And after I prayed for them for a while, they shared with me that she had gotten free of the alcohol and has now been free of that for three years and her business has never been better. So I felt inspired by that as we got another uh, sponsored child and he shared that his dad really struggled with alcohol. So I began praying each day that Jesus would free him from that and also that I would see a smile on his mom's face. That's something I had not seen. So we went to see them this time. Um, I was able to, first of all, his mom smiled for the first time when we came up to see her, which I knew that meant something was different. And then secondly, at the end of the visit, I sat down with Lewis and he shared with me that 15 days ago, his dad stopped drinking and the whole family accepted Christ. And that just was an overwhelming experience for me to realize that even though I can't be with them every day, I can pray for them every day. And through that, I can help change their lives. So it's so important beyond the financial commitment that you have that relationship with your children through prayer. recently went on my first mission trip and uh, one of the first things we did was a home visit with a family of I think it was of six it was an abuela three sisters and two brothers and one of them's name was Carlos he's in the program with compassion and sponsored and um, I think it was Aaron who had asked him if there's any letters that he's ever gotten from a sponsor and he ran in like it was Christmas morning and his little drawer pulled out two letters and it was just incredible, that reminder of how important these letters are. These are all things that, that we've had the, the privilege of being able to be involved in, but these are things that God is doing. When we just say, God, just use us. How can, how can we help? How can we reach out? He takes it far beyond what we could possibly imagine. Why are we sharing all this stuff? Why, why are we going through all this stuff? Because God has called us church, Christian. He's called us to follow in Jesus' footsteps and rise up and be a warrior for the needy, for the powerless, for the voiceless, for the helpless. And I think that this is just the beginning of what God wants to do through our church. Can you imagine if uh, we have so many children sponsored by, from, from our families, but can you imagine if there was a child sponsored somewhere in the world for every person that attended West Pines? Could you imagine if, what if there wasn't just, you know, a, a handful of mission, mission trips uh, every year? What if there were so many mission trips that we're just, it's part of our culture to just, there's constantly teams going in and out throughout the world. We're just constantly giving, giving updates of what God is doing through the world by our, 
by all of us as we're going out in different places. Can you imagine, one of the things I think about, can you imagine the day that someone steps up at West Pines and says, I've been sitting there and I, I work in a business or I own a company and I've been sitting there and for six months God's been tugging on my heart. He's calling me to something more. He's calling me to take my family, move overseas and serve him over, overseas. Can you imagine the first time that comes up out of our congregation? What an incredible joy that will be for us to send that person out. There was a, a man, his name is Adoniram Judson. He lived at the end of the uh, 18th uh, century into the early 19th century. He was the first missionary to ever leave North America. And he went to Burma and he gave his life in Burma and he faced unimaginable sacrifice. It was, it was an unbelievable adventure he went on. He faced great victories for the gospel, faced great pain and great sacrifice throughout his life. In fact, he died trying to get back to America from, from an illness that he had contracted over there, and he died suffering. In fact, one of the last words he said was this. He said, so few have died so hard. But that's not the most famous quote from his life. Who, a man who gladly gave up his life, sacrificed so greatly for God, said, look, God, you, you, you've bought me eternity. I can give you this life. This is a more well-known quote from his life. It says this. There's no success without sacrifice. If you succeed without sacrifice, it is because someone has suffered before you. If you sacrifice without success, it is because someone will succeed after. God is calling us to great sacrifice in the name of Jesus. And whether we get to be the harvesters of that sacrifice or, or generation after us, it is our joy and our privilege to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and to rise up for the powerless. Why would we do that? Well, because he rose up for us when we were lost in our sin. And he died. He, put, he died on the cross to save us from our sins. And in response to that great sacrifice, that we can now just look to Jesus and say, Jesus, I accept that you died on the cross. Thank you for saving me. We can look to Jesus and believe that he died for us in faith. And we know that he washes our sins away and we're saved for eternity. Maybe that's the first step for you this morning. You just want to put your faith in Jesus, the Son of God, the kind of God who's not standing back waiting for you to stumble, the kind of God that came in and sacrificed greatly because we were spiritually powerless. Is that you? Do you want to accept forgiveness and salvation and receive what Jesus did for you on the cross this morning? If that's you, I just want to lead you in a prayer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? If that's you, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer right there in your seat where you can find forgiveness permanently from God. If that's you, just pray the simple prayer. Just pray this in your seat. Make these words your own words. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for sacrificing so greatly for my sins. Say, Jesus, I, I realize I don't deserve your love, but thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you that even though I couldn't save myself, you, you came and sacrificed so greatly for me. I receive that and know that I'm saved for eternity as of this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call us at 
432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.